Acts chapter 23, please. Acts chapter 23. You know, it's entitled the Acts of the Apostles, but I really believe it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Working through the Apostles. Acts chapter 23. And I want to read just one verse of Scripture. And, uh, and then we'll begin. Acts chapter 23. Find your place there. Thank you for turning. I do appreciate that. We have a few places to go to this morning, so I hope that you'll stay with me. Amen. And turn in your Bibles. That will do you more good, and uh, and I believe it'll be a blessing to you. Acts chapter 23, I want to read just one verse of Scripture, and that's in verse 1. Let me say welcome to those of you viewing by way of Facebook and YouTube. We're glad to have you here with us this morning, and we hope that someday you'll come and visit with us. All right. Notice what the Bible says. Paul writes, of correction, Luke writing. Recording what Paul said, and Paul earnestly beholding the council said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now the setting here, Paul has been called on the carpet for what he's been preaching and teaching and being involved with the Gentiles, and he's about to be arrested, and, uh, and so they bring him he has been arrested, and they bring him now to these Jewish uh, council where, uh, where he's going to have to use a little subtlety, realizing that some of them are Sadducees and some of them are Pharisees. And uh, Paul was very skillful in those things, that he might then be taken on to Rome where he was going to face uh, Caesar. And so, but what I want to talk to you about is that little passage that's in there. It says, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And I want to speak to you this morning about keeping a clear conscience. Keeping a clear conscience. It seems that America is losing and has lost her conscience. Amen. It's, a, it's just sad. It is sad. And so uh, let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, uh, we bow this morning, God, and I thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, dear God, and how you used him, and the writings, Lord, of Luke and the others, Father, that are intended, Lord, that we might be fed, we might be nourished, we might be encouraged, strengthened with might in the inner man. And we're looking to you and to the Holy Spirit today to do that. And so, Lord, while I'm speaking on the outside, Holy Spirit, will you speak to them on the inside? May your will be done this day, and we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Some time ago, John MacArthur wrote a book entitled The Vanishing Conscience. And in that book, there he outlined America's failing cultural and moral responsibility. Basically what he said, we quoted from him, said there's no more shamefacedness. And that's an old English word, which simply put means that America has lost the ability to blush. We've seen so much. I mean, with each passing day, it seems that we're exposed to one outrageous assault upon another on the decency and traditional family values that were once held dear in our land, even amongst lost people. They had some character back in the day. And they were not afraid to express those things. But beloved, we must not be, as a people today in 2023, we must not be naive. What do you mean by that? I simply mean this, the enemy, our enemy, 
The devil has had an agenda ever since the beginning when he said, Yea, hath God said. He's always stood in doubt on the word of God and the truth and veracity of it. And his, his agenda has not changed. And he is very skillful. Doesn't the, doesn't the word of God say that he, that our enemy, has blinded the minds of basically of the unsaved, that they, that they can't perceive or understand the gospel? And he's been good at blinding the minds of Americans and, and people in general about keeping the light out. And the more that we, our children, or our grandchildren are exposed to this kind of, to the kind of indis the kind of indecency and obscenities that are invading our land are pervading the land, the more the lines become blurred between right and wrong. What was once done on back streets and in dark alleys is now paraded and praised in broad daylight. It's shameful. It is shameful. And, uh, you know, these are the times that Isaiah spoke about. He said, he said, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Beloved, we are living in those days right now. Right now. You know, there was a time in 1964, somebody asked uh, a then Supreme Court justice. He was an associate justice. His name was Potter Stewart. Potter Stewart, and they asked him to define the word obscenity. And he, when he was asked to do that, he said this. He said, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. And But the question is, is that really so today? And I would say the answer to that is no. What has happened? The conscience of men and women has become dulled and diluted, and, and in some instances, in many instances, it's just dead. It's been seared with a hot iron, yes. and they don't see it. And what we can't have, what we must not do, we must not lose our ability to recognize sin, and especially when it's in ourselves. You know, the more that you are around something, the more, you know, I remember I, I was preaching in Tennessee and, and uh, one of the men in the church there, he had, a, he had a computerized hog farm and he had these huge, he had these huge sheds and, and he would have some where all the hogs, these were all expecting in here and, and these were all that had, had delivered all their litters and they were nursing now these little hogs and so forth and then over here was where they were now they were weaning them and he had these three separate these big huge uh, buildings they were made out of metal or whatever but thankfully that there was a little space in between them where I could catch my breath amen you know uh, you know how long it takes the land to recover be what they call reclamation after a hog farm has been there it takes over 20 years for you to dig in the soil and it not smell like hogs. Well, something I noticed when I got back, I was staying in a motel there when I took my jacket off. It was it was the fall there in Tennessee when I did that. When I took my jacket off, I just did like that. You know how you take your jacket off? Well, it made a little breeze and I went, man, 
I smell them hogs in here, you know. And I, I took my jacket off. Good night. Man, it's in my shirt. It's in my clothes. It's everywhere. You know, and just being around it. And I'm just saying, beloved, you can't walk in the street. You can't, you can't go to the grocery store. You can't already listen on the radio or the television without there being something there in an effort to taint us. Now listen, I'm not trying to be self-righteous this morning. That's not my goal. I'm not trying to look down my nose. I'm just calling a spade a spade. I'm just saying what it is. Being honest about it. And beloved, we must not lose our ability to recognize these things. Because what happens is what the enemy is counting on is our indifference. It's counting on our apathy, counting on our passivity. Why? Because indifference leads to indulgence. We get so accustomed to it that it doesn't bother us. We're not shocked anymore by what we see or what we hear. And they do it right in front of us. And so what do we do? We, we as believers, we must keep a clean and clear conscience. We must do that. Well, how do we do that? Let me give you these things. We're right there in Acts 23, verse 1. Well, first of all, you've got to examine it. You've got to take a look at it. You know, most things, most things require some maintenance, don't they, over time? If you're, if you're going to enjoy it, if it's going to last, it's got to have a little maintenance to it. Machinery, marriages, other things, they all require some maintenance from time to time. They do. And so we need to examine it. Well, what is a conscience exactly? What is a conscience? What is your conscience? According to the book of Proverbs, the conscience is defined as the candle of the Lord that searches all the inward parts of man. Uh, the Indians would say, you know, the, I, I remember reading this as a boy, that his conscience, it was an arrowhead that was in his heart, and that arrowhead, it spun around. And as it spun around, whenever he would do something that was, that was off color or something that he shouldn't have done, he would feel the barb on that arrowhead as it touched the inside of his heart. And he said, but if I kept on doing that over time, what I would do is he said, eventually that arrow would lose its sharpness and it could spin around and I didn't feel anything. And that's where America is today. And beloved, we don't want to be in that shape. We don't want to be in that shape. The word conscience, it is a compound word. You, you, you've seen these cans in the grocery store, haven't you? Chili con carne. That's kind of the Spanish word there. Con means with, with. Conscience is con and science joined together. Conscience, con means with, the science means knowledge. So it's us being able to see things, learn things with knowledge to understand them. And so, uh, so it, it allows human beings to know things that are morally or ethically right or wrong. As a matter of fact, in the book of Romans, God will use that before there was a law. God will use their own conscience, either excusing or, or accusing or excusing their behavior and use that as a law against them, to judge them, to deal with them. But it, but it does. Your mind, your intellect, and the Holy Spirit can speak to us through our conscience if it is working properly. If it's working properly. Listen, whoever drummed up the idea, let your conscience be your guide, they were grossly mistaken, grossly mistaken. I remember hearing that as a child. Well, let your conscience be your guide. Well, all I had was an old sinful nature. I mean, ask somebody. Have, there's a book out there. You ought to read it. And I think the author's last name is Richardson. It's called The Peace Child. Are you familiar with the book, The Peace Child? 
It's about in a third world country. It has to do with it has to do with their efforts to reach some folks in Papua New Guinea. And one of the things that they would do, what that they loved doing, is they loved tricking and deceiving the neighbor tribe. And so they would invite someone over, and they would be so hospitable to him. They would feed him and make sure he had the best of the food that they had to offer. And then they would say, "Please come back. Please come back." And man, he would come. And each time that he came, he became a little less guarded about why they were being so nice to him. And they were just like treating him part of the family. And so after several visits, and they had given him a lot of food, what they did when he was sat down there to eat, man, they clubbed him in the head and they went on and ate him. Let their conscience be their guide. They actually liked Judas in the Bible the first time they heard about him. They, why? They said, man, because he tricked the Lord like we do to all of our neighbors here. It's what we do. Letting your conscience be your guide is a dangerous proposition. There was a preacher named John Huss. He was a Moravian. He was burned at the stake by the Pope. And uh, he was burned as a heretic. And there was a poor widow who brought a piece of wood to the officiating priest with a request that it be put up there close by the stake. And, uh, and as she brought it up there, as they brought it up there, you know, John Huss says to her, and he says, Woman, what have I done to you or yours? that you should hate me so, said the woman. You are a heretic. I am poor and wood is costly and I can ill afford the price of this log. But to burn a heretic is a good work and in that work I want to share. But John Huss was a Christian. He's probably in that book, Scooter Fox's Book of Martyrs. You'll read about him. When they took him, when they went through that, when they burned him, they went through and they gathered the organs out of the ash and they burned those and then they poured all those ashes in the Rhine River and man, reformation broke out. Just as John Huss's ashes went down the Rhine River so the truth began to spread. They didn't have good consciences. They didn't have clean consciences. They were dull. Dull was how they were living. We have to examine it. You have to look at it. Your conscience is only good where God guides it, where God and His Word are guiding the conscience, keeping it sensitive and tender. So what kind of shape is it in? As I said before, as with most things, if left untouched, the natural tendency of things is to get worse and not get better. Machinery, marriages, and the mind all need maintenance. Now there's a few different kind of consciences that are mentioned in the Bible. There's the deluded conscience. That's the weak one. That's what's spoken about in Romans 14 and in 1 Corinthians 8 where your where your conscience where your brother who has a, a weakened conscience is emboldened to do something or not do something and so there's a hypersensitivity and it's easily influenced that kind of conscience there's the defiled conscience of Titus chapter 1 they are men of corrupt minds their thinking is amiss their thinking is wrong listen I'll just say here, you know, listen, if you think that, that two men sleeping together and, and practicing what they practice is normal, there's something not right with your mind. Yes. Amen. And that's the same thing is true for two women. There's something not right in your mind. You'll know, you know, when I was the chaplain for the, some of those governmental places back in, back in East Texas. I told them right up front, I will never marry two men. I will never counsel two women on how to live together and get along. I'll not do it. And I said, I have a higher calling. I said, I don't care what the state of Texas does, but I'm not doing it. Amen. 
Beloved, it's not right. But we've gotten so accustomed to this, we see it now paraded around, purple hair, green hair, stuff in noses and ears and all, and you don't know if it's an it, a she, or a thing, or whatever. God is disgusted by it, and I am too. You say, well, you, you know, aren't we supposed to love them? I understand. Listen, I want to try to do what I can to reach them. Yes. But I'm not going to live down there in the gutter with them. Amen. 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 Abram could have never delivered Lot if he'd have gone to live in Sodom. But because he kept himself separate from that, I'm getting ahead of myself. Because he kept himself separate from that, he was able then to go and help Lot and get out of there. There's the deluded conscience, the defiled conscience. There's the dead conscience, that which is past feeling, like that arrowhead that I spoke about. And then there's the desirable conscience that Paul mentions here in chapter 23, in all good conscience. What is a good conscience? It's one that's sensitive and obedient to the Holy Spirit as he leads you in the Word of God. That's what we're after, beloved. That's what we need to maintain. So we've got to look at ours and see how is it, how am, I, how am I estimating the value of the Word of God? How am I applying it in my life? How am I approaching it? Do I see that this Bible has authority on every page to deal with me and the way that I'm living? It's not just an old book with newsprint on it. It's not. It's kind of like what lava soap was to all the other kind of soaps. Lava soap had a pumice in it, right? Those little gritty things that get that stuff off your hands. If you took the pumice out of there, you just have green old palm olive soap. Amen? You wouldn't have what you really need to be clean. You mess with the blood and you mess with some other things in this book and you've just got any other book. But thank God it was written and it's infallible. Amen. And we need it in its entirety. And so we need that desirable conscience, but that's something that we have to maintain. How do we do that? Look in chapter 24, Acts 24, and look in verse 16 just for a moment. Let me read this to you. Notice what Paul said, And herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. I not only have to examine my conscience from time to time to see what kind of shape it's in, how am I dealing with it, am I really submitting myself to the Word of God and to the Holy Spirit, am I listening to His urgings and nudgings and unction that He puts in my life, and then I have to exercise it. Paul did not ignore the goading of his conscience. You know what a goad is, right? They used to use them. Farmers would use them a long time ago. On one end, it had kind of a flat place, where it was, uh, it was uh, sort of rounded or elliptical at the end. And what they would do was on a long handle, a long shaft. And what he would do is he would take the end of that flattened end of that goad and he could scrape the plow. He could scrape the blade if it got, if it got clay on or if there was something obstructing it from digging down deep enough. He could clean it while standing with that ox goad. On the other end of that sort of, sort of elliptical piece that was down there on that long shaft, there was a point on the end. And if the oxen didn't go quite fast enough or steady enough, he could take that thing, turn it around, and he would sort of gouge that, that oxen in the rump, if you will, to get him to move and pull a little bit more. And God calls those goads are like the nails of the wise. They are goads that, to get us to move forward. And when, and when the Holy Spirit would convict Paul about something, he did not ignore it. He acted upon it. Go right back there with me to chapter 23. I'm not trying to make you go just for going's sake. 
But I want you to see this. Notice what happens. He's been, he's been arrested. He's brought before the council. Look in verse 2. Acts 23, verse 2. And the high priest, when Paul said that, I have lived all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Man, those words offended him. So they hauled off or they popped Paul. I mean, they let him have it. Smote him on the mouth. And notice what he did. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. He called him nothing but a, basically, he called him a sepulcher. He called him a grave. You're just a whited wall, you know. And, uh, and for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. Look at verse 4. And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? They called Paul's hand on it. Then said Paul, I wist not. He said, he said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. What did he do? When he found out when he had done wrong, he, he made that right. He didn't ignore the goadings of the Holy Spirit and, and the words what they told him. Hey, you know what you just did? Do you, do you not respect the high priest? Do you not respect him? And he said, man, I, I, basically what he's saying is I know better. But I did not know, I wist not. I did not know that he was that way. So what so what do we get? What do we take away from that? When we exercise our conscience, listen, when we have offended the Lord and offended someone, confess our sins. Bring that before God and don't wait till later. Don't let it stew. Don't let it age. Make it right. You know, there's a place in the in the gospels where Jesus said that you ought to agree with your adversary while he's in the way. In other words, if you and another have a falling out, get that thing right. If there's someone that maybe that you owed money to or that you had a grievance with, somebody in a, in a business, in a store, a, a customer, whatever it was, make that thing right. Don't delay on it. Don't wait on it. Agree with an adversary while you're in the way because you don't want him to have to go get the law. In other words, man, you know, there were people, you know, they would make a bill and then the FBI would have to try to find them to get them to pay it. The Lord is saying, don't live like that. Agree with your adversary. Get that matter settled. And do it sooner rather than later. Putting it off is not going to make it... Listen, when there's an animal out there, do you think it's better to move that dead animal off the road while it's fresh, or do you want to wait a few days in this heat? That's kind of the idea I'm trying to get across to you here. When you've messed up, when you fouled up, when you got messed up with somebody, get it right sooner rather than later. It won't stink near as bad. Amen. They're liable to be more receptive to you than, than in waiting. Well, it took you long enough to get here or whatever. Don't do that. You want your conscience to be like Paul's. Void of offense, confess your sin, agree with your adversary, and then this third thing, make restitution if necessary. You say, what do you mean? Well, you know, if you borrowed something and you broke it, don't give it back to them broken. <laughs> Have it fixed, buy them another one. Amen, brother. Thank you. Thank you for I appreciate that. Thank you. That hearty agreement. Make restitution. 
And if you're working on somebody's car, you know, the only thing I don't understand about the medical industry, you know, if they were working on you, if they removed your appendix and they, they wind up nicking, you know, something else in there and it begins to bleed and you get an infection, now they're going to want more money to go back in there to repair that, but they did it. If a mechanic's working on my vehicle and he messes up and he, t he drains my transmission instead of draining the oil pad and then puts 12 more quarts of oil in on top of what I got and I blow a seal, I'm not going to pay for that. If you have to make restitution, make restitution. Make it right. Be right with your brother. And you know what? You know what you'll be able to do? You'll be able to sleep at night. Listen, has your conscience ever bothered you when you went to bed? You know, when you're in the busyness of the day, you got other things on your mind. But when God gets you by yourself and there's nothing else going on, the TV's off, the radio's off, he or she is out cold, and man, there you are, and suddenly, bing, your eyes open up about 2 a.m. in the morning, and you're thinking about, oh, man, Lord, I just want to go to sleep. I'll do this later. No, no. Man, remember the times that David said, you know, soul, why art thou disquieted? Why? Something was going on on the inside, wasn't it? The Holy Spirit wasn't happy with what we said or what we did, or maybe what we didn't do. Maybe because of what we didn't do. Beloved, it'll give you peace and it'll give you liberty when your conscience is clean. You know, it's funny, when Adam and Eve sinned, Adam sinned, Eve was deceived. When Adam sinned, they ran and hid, didn't they? What do you suppose would bother them? Their conscience was bothering them. They ran and hid when they heard God coming. And, and, but after that, when he clothed them with skins and all... Now they're, now they're out there. They're fellowshipping. They're able to do some other things. Why? Because there was peace in place of the guilt. And when your conscience has been cleared and clean, you can rest at night. You can see that person at HEB and you don't have to quickly go around to another aisle in the hopes or pull your hat down or, or do something over here so they can't see you or whatever because you don't want them to confront you about that. You don't want to talk. That's what we do, isn't it true? Don't we avoid people when we're not right with them? You know that's true. You know it's true. You know it's true about family. Well, we're not going to have them over. Well, no, no, let's don't. Uh, that didn't go so good last time. Well, get it right. Make it right. You'll sleep better at night. Listen, you know what? False accusations are not going to bother you. You can't stop people from saying what they want to say. We can only control what we say and do. We can't control what other people say or do. But the false accusations that come in this life, they're not going to be there, if you will. They're not going to bother you. Why? Because your conscience is clear. That's why you have to go by your conscience and not by theirs. If you've made every effort to make that right with that individual and, and they refuse it, they're going to hold on to that, well, you know, you can, take your, you, you can take yourself off of the hook with God because you got it right. You made it right. And there will be peace in your heart. Your prayers won't be hindered and so forth. Gossips and busybodies and slanderers will carry no weight and cause no fear when your conscience is clear. Look with me in 1 Peter. Turn there with me, will you please? 1 Peter. Look in chapter 2 with me. 1 Peter. Hebrews, James, then 1 Peter. If you hadn't been reading your Bible, I hope you get caught up, all right? 1 Peter chapter 2, look with me. Look in verse 22. 
This is what we have to do. When we exercise our conscience and we make it right with that individual, and we do the right thing, restitution, or we what we what we avoided, we then enacted and did. Verse 22, chapter 2 says, speaking of the Lord Jesus, who did no sin, because notice look at verse 21, for even here unto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. The Lord Jesus giving an example, look what happened. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. He didn't deceive anybody. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But watch. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. When you've done what you were supposed to do, when you satisfied that nagging conscience by making that situation right, you then commit yourself to him that's being to your heavenly father that judges things righteously. Because he can see all the depth of your heart. And when you've made that thing right, that's what the Lord Jesus did. Look, look with me. Look in chapter 3. Look in verse 13. Chapter 3, same book, 1 Peter 3, verse 13. And he says, And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Now watch. But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to always give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now watch, look at verse 16. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil, they speak evil of you as of an evildoer, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. What's he saying? That when, when you've been accused and it's in error and it's wrong, when you've done that which was right, you can with a good conscience carry on. Commit that thing to God. You know, sometimes even when you've done the right thing, your conscience will get on you sometimes, won't it? That's why it's not always right. That's why your conscience is not the voice of God and it is not infallible. <laughs> it's not. Follow the Holy Spirit. Follow the Word of God. We've got to examine it. We've got to exercise it. It needs to have that happen. Void of offense toward God and men. Keeping a short account. Number three, and I'll be done. We've got to learn to exclude it exclude it from some things. Look in Romans 16 with me. Romans chapter 16. Thank you for turning this morning. Romans chapter 16. I hope you're staying up with me at home. Romans 16. Look with me please in verse 17. Last chapter in the book of Romans. Romans 16. Look in verse 17. Notice what Paul said. He said, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and what? And avoid them. Avoid them. Paul is not teaching isolationism. We're not supposed to live like hermits. We are in the world, but we are not supposed to be of the world. But what he's saying is, he's talking about this was people in that assembly. This wasn't just lost people. These were people that might be considered brethren or whatever. 
that, that our fellowship has got to be right because the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, he says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupts good manners. Wasn't this so about our children? Didn't they become like those with whom they spend the most time? The things that they come home from in school. And have you ever asked them, where did you learn that? Oh, Sally said that, or Billy said that, or Tommy said that, or the teacher said that, or whatever. You know, they spend all this time with all these people away from home. It's so. The things they learn, sometimes they're good things, and sometimes they're bad things. And, 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 what, and what did we gravitate to when we were little? <laughs> you know, the same. But mostly we, we had an affinity for the, for the not-so-good. Amen. That's just how we are. That old nature, that sin nature. I wasn't saved as a five-year-old boy or ten-year-old boy. I was 28 years old. I, I needed to be saved. Beloved, we have to separate ourselves and come out from among them. Yes, we ought to reach them. Listen to what Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 5. He said, I wrote unto you an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must you go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. Our fellowship needs to be right. What, what communion does light have with darkness? There is no fellowship there. And if we don't want our consciences to wind up being desensitized by some things, you know, the constant, the constant being around others that, that live contrary to the things of God, it has an impact upon your life. It can influence your life. It makes you more tolerant. You say, well, you know what? Well, they're my friends. But to be a friend of the world is to be at enmity with God. I'm not trying to paint us off into a corner where we all become hermits. Isolation is not the answer, it's insulation. Insulation. You know, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with them that do. And all. I, I, yeah. If we're going to reach people, if we're going to befriend people, it means you can't expect them to be what they are not. But it doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to hang out and fellowship and do all those things on a regular basis with them. I'm not going to kind of goes back to the thing about Abraham and Lot. I can't deliver them if I'm in the same boat with them. We are to evangelize them, but what true fellowship do we have with them? We don't. We don't. Listen, I, I, again, you're in Romans 16. Let's keep reading. Look down there at verse 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men, and I am glad therefore on your behalf. But I, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. The book of Ephesians says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. It says we're not even supposed to talk about those things what they're doing. And every time you know on the news, there's some celebrity, they did this, they did that. 
They, they caused this. This is what they did, some outrageous thing. They took their clothes off here. They hit somebody there. They got drunk. They were, you know what? And, and what is it? You go to the grocery store, and it's one salacious thing after another right there for you to look at on the way out. Why? They want you to buy those things because Americans love dirt. And what does that do to our conscience and our mind? It affects my thought life. It affects my conscience. And there are some people who feel like, well, you know, if a celebrity did it, if a, uh, if a sports uh, figure did it, well, then it must be okay. It must be good. That's the furthest thing from the truth. They are not the standard, beloved. Amen. <laughs> They're not the standard. I, I think God wants to use us, but you know what? But the only way we can help people is if we remain in the light. Bring the light to them. You know, what if the salt has lost its savor? Then it's not good for anything, is it? And so, beloved, we want those things to be right. Paul said this. You know, well, I, I'm just say, you know the Lord has given me victory over, over alcohol, over liquor. But I'm not going to go sit in a bar to show how much victory I've got. Why would I sit there and watch other people order? I'm just, I'm just not going to do that. You know, I have done weddings, and I, I've done weddings for, uh, for people that were... Uh, I'm not a Marian Sam, but I've tried to minister to people in those things. But a lot of times in the reception, um, I don't stay. I don't go because I'm not interested. They're, they're just going to get be drunk and be foolish and say things and do things. I'm just not going to be a part of that. I'm not. I'm, I'm just saying we each have to make decisions about those things. Make decisions. Paul said all things are lawful for me but all things edify not. All things don't build us up. And so beloved you got to choose those things carefully. I hope I've given you the right balance on this this morning. I feel like I have. I'm not trying to get you to look down your nose and judge everybody. I'm not doing that. That's not my goal here. That, 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 that's not what the scripture teaches. But what it does says, I'm supposed to judge myself. I'm supposed to look at my own conscience. I'm to examine it. What kind of shape is it in? Do I tolerate things today that I at one time did not? Am I okay with things that at one time used to aggravate me or agitate me, vexed me? Have we just gotten to where, well, there's really nothing I can do, Brother Ed, just... Feels like sometimes you just got to go along to get along. I, I don't, I'm not trying to be a thorn in the sides of my friends or acquaintances or my brethren. I'm just saying, beloved, every now and then, we got to do a little checkup. If we want to have that good conscience that Paul spoke about. If you want to have that clear conscience where there's nothing between you and anyone else in this level and direction, there's nothing between you and the Lord in this direction. And then do what you can to keep it clean. Avoid some of those things that we just take for granted because they're out there and we are bombarded by it every day. Man, I mean every day. And listen, there's nothing new under the sun there have always been transvestites. There's always been adulterers and whoremongers. When the Bible is written, all those things are out there. They have been out there. 
but they're trying to make it a part of acceptable society. They're trying to use the courts and manipulate the Constitution and other things to say that deviant behavior is normal, it should be accepted, and we just have to learn to hush up. Well, I say fooey on that. God is true and every man's a liar. Amen. And beloved, I don't want those things to affect the way that I seek to help people, the way that I fellowship with people, the way that I'm interested in seeing them be lifted up to come to know the Savior. And I don't want and I don't want to wind up tolerating things that I just get in a line like all the lemmings. You know what a lemming is? Lemming was one of those little critters that just got behind the one in line. They just walked. If one went off the edge of the cliff, all the lemmings just followed after him. I don't want to be that way. I want to walk with God. Amen? I want to think like him. I want, I want to treat others the way that he would have me to treat them. I don't want to be ugly, and I'm not trying to be an old, grouchy, old, bad attitude Baptist. I'm just saying enough is enough, and we, have to, we just have to take stock and look at ourselves. How is this affecting my thinking? Keep our conscience clean. Keep it right. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my church family, these patient listeners, Lord, our visitors here today and those viewing at home. And I pray, God, that they could see uh, this preacher's heart, Lord, and this trying to speak the truth in love. But I pray, Father, that you'll help us, dear God, uh, Lord, uh, not to be not to be untouched by the world, Lord, but the, the world that we're in. But God, we just don't want its influences. And Lord, only we can decide what we will allow to influence our lives. I pray, Father, it would be you, your precious Holy Spirit, your infallible word, would always have the first place that we put the word of God above the words of men and the ways of men. We love you and we need you, Father. I pray you'll strengthen our, our people today with might in the inner man. In Jesus' name, amen.